Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY20 at checkout to save 20%. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. you got to figure out where you want them, but if they're designed to flush, you need to have them within gun range or, they're gonna, or you might as well just uh, leave your gun at the house. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The double wall rotomodal construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you could need from fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, and even tie down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around in your truck. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back for another week of GDIY. Here with me as always is Austin. GDIY, baby. Here for this podcast. We're going to kill it tonight. I'm just playing. Austin is actually not here with me this week. That's actually Joe, our producer, splicing him in. We wanted to make him feel like he's always here with us even when he's not. But he had some really important stuff to do with work uh, today. So I you know, hope you forgive everybody, all you Austin-holics out there. Hope we don't run you off and uh, you just have to suffer through an episode with just me. Sorry, guys. But uh, really good episode this week, I think. We finally have a guy that specializes in flushers. He's uh, been dealing with English cockers for over a decade now. And he's really knowledgeable. He actually works a lot of uh, flushing dogs, his cockers, along with pointing dogs. So that's really kind of what he focuses on now. But he was mainly just flushing dogs uh, there for a while. And uh, we were fortunate to get him. Kara Whitaker actually recommended him. Thank you, Kara, if you're listening. But, uh, yeah, if anybody has any suggestions for topics, guests, anything at all 
feel free to let us know because uh, we're always on the lookout for more people to talk to and branch out and cover new topics and whatever. So flushing dogs, retrievers, we really need some help with some retriever guys because that's a huge market. And surprisingly, we are having a very hard time finding some retriever guys. Surely y'all are out there or you know somebody. So if you do, please hit us up because we want to we want to talk retrievers. We need some lab guys, some chessies, something. Uh, so yeah, if you have that, hit us up. Uh, but yeah, so we have a good episode for you today. And uh, But first, we have a little housekeeping to do. Or really, I guess we can say mucking kennels. We got some kennel mucking to do. Uh, we had some listener feedback from uh, an episode a few weeks ago. We had the steadiness episodes, and Brent Krug actually reached out, and he brought up a, a pretty good point that we knew we were kind of not avoiding, but we decided to go a specific way on how we communicated the steadiness during the program. So if you're brand new to this and the steadiness just made 100% sense to you, and you don't want any more confusion or anything, just skip this part. But for those that want to kind of dive a little deeper, there is another way of kind of looking at the definitions of steadiness. And in our episodes, we kind of spoke to to uh, the way I feel like a lot of newer handlers are coming into this world. They seem to grasp the concepts of steadiness if you speak to it in a way of steady to the stimulus. And a lot of people see steadiness better related to steadiness through the stimulus. And I'm going to try and explain that a little bit better. So when we were talking in the episode about steady to flush, we were talking in a way that we were trying to steady that dog until we flush the bird, which is the stimulus, to the dog. And we were trying to say then that the dog could break. A lot of people consider steady through flush to be that the dog remains steady through the act of the bird flushing okay and i hope that makes sense and it's kind of the same thing with shot and fall they consider each stimulus they don't consider it steady to something unless the dog remains steady through it and it's really not that big of a difference it's kind of your just preference on how you discuss it it does help you understand the definitions of steadiness through the eyes of maybe a judge during a test Uh, but it does seem to us the reason why we discussed it the way we did was because it does seem like especially the the younger and newer handlers getting involved it just kind of makes more sense when you're talking to them about it in relations to training. So I hope that made sense. If you have any questions, please feel free to let me know. But but I honestly, you know, want to thank uh, Brent for for communicating that to us because I'm kind of in agreement with him. That's how I look at steadiness now. But when it comes time to explain it to new people and just the average person, uh, we we've come to realize it's a lot easier to discuss steadiness in, in the way that we did on the episode. But again, if it made sense to you, don't worry about everything I just said. All that matters is that you understand the foundations and the steps to get to it. Because either way, it doesn't matter the definition of whether you're doing steady to something or steady through something. The end result is still the same. But I did want to throw that out there because I do know a lot of people prefer the definitions that way. And, and I hope I communicated that very clearly. Uh, but again, if not, let me know. 
And uh, yeah, it, what what we just got with that was great listener feedback. We encourage that. If you have any questions, concerns, corrections, or just want to discuss it, uh, holler at us. You know, we have the Gmail account and. I think a lot of people that have reached out, they know, uh, you know, we, we, I'll usually just give them my phone number and we'll have a long conversation about it. So feel free to reach out and let us know with any feedback that you have. Also, another thing that we're excited to announce is a brand new partnership with Rocky Mountain Hunt Strong. This company specializes in creating fitness plans and workout plans for the hunter. And Zach Patrone, he's the guy that runs Rocky Mountain Hunt Strong. He's an experienced uh, personal trainer, and he knows what it takes to get you in the best shape possible for the type of hunting and terrain that you're going to be in because he is a hunter first, and he's a dog owner. He, he, he does everything, so he can relate to you firsthand with what you need. He specializes in making these plans work with around your schedule, your goals, your equipment, whatever you have, he can make it for you. And he, he's got a great program. I've started it over the past couple weeks and it's wearing me out. And so, yeah, if you're sick of looking like, you know, a spilled tub of ice cream, check them out. Uh, it's Rocky Mountain Hunt Strong on Instagram uh, RockyMountainHuntStrong.com. There's going to be a lot more information coming soon from them, but we're excited to announce here soon. I think next week we're going to be announcing an Instagram giveaway to launch this. He's got a bunch of good stuff. He's going to be giving away an actual training program along with hat, shirt, uh, a lot of stuff. And we're also going to give away a free personal training program to all of our patreon users so if you're already on patreon or you just want to get a shot at getting another uh, or get a free training program for new year's coming up and get ready for next year's hunting season and just get overall healthier and in great shape sign up to patreon support us it goes a long way we we really appreciate it and i'm excited i think that this this uh workout program and this partnership and with GDIY is it's gonna it's gonna be a great thing for both of us and uh whether you want to do the giveaway or not you can also just go straight to his website enter in the GDIY promo code and you save 15 percent so glad to welcome Rocky Mountain Hunt Strong to the GDIY family and look forward to what we have coming up in the future with you but with that I guess I can talk stop talking your ear off you didn't come here to listen to me talk and blabber by myself all alone over here because Austin left me. But, uh, yeah, we have Derek Cannon coming back up here soon from uh, Dirt Road Dog Company. Hope you guys enjoy it. Let us know what you think. Appreciate it. If you're looking for new apparel that works better for you in the field, be sure to check out the amazing products at Duck Camp. They're a direct-to-consumer company that prides itself in producing high-quality gear for every type of outdoorsman, including wing shooters. Unlike your shooting, their Upland shirts are a can't-miss. They're available in different weights to make sure you get what you need on your hunt. Check them out through the link on our website, gundogityourself.com, and if you purchase something, please be sure to tell them GDIY sent you. Do you have trouble physically making it through long hunts? Is your dog always giving you that angry look telling you to keep up? You train your dog, but now it's time to train yourself. 
Rocky Mountain Hunt Strong is the company for any hunter that is looking for an effective fitness routine to get healthier and be able to hunt longer and harder. This company has merged fitness and the passion of hunting to help people like you and me continue to do what we love. From the Rockies to the Smokies and every field or prairie in between, this company can get you ready to go longer, cover more ground, and recover quicker. Go to RockyMountainHuntStrong.com and see their program for yourself. Use the discount code GDIY to save 15% and get to work. Train harder, hunt stronger, and recover faster. Hey everybody, this is Nick with GDIY. I've got Derry Cannon with Dirt Road Dog Company on the line with me. Derry, how you doing tonight? Doing good, how about you? Yep, so uh, let's just start out. You want to put yourself on the map, tell everybody where you're coming from? I'm Derry Cannon. I currently reside in Bainbridge, Georgia uh, for the last 47 years. Uh, been training dogs for about 15 years, been an avid hunter basically all my life, uh, and my wife and I started Dirt Road Dog Company uh, back in about 2008, uh, just sort of got into the English Cocker world and really liked it and hadn't stopped. There you go. So you primarily do English Cockers, uh, but don't you have another uh, type of breed? Yeah, we've, uh, we've we've naturally, I've in Working with cockers, you're 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 flushing and and doing everything. So we we deal in the pointing breed a little bit, but uh, primarily the breed that I've picked lately. I've I've worked a little bit into the small Munsterlander breed. Uh, they're just a versatile gun dog, and uh, they're sort of a one-stop shop. So we're we're sort of easing into that and and liking it so far. Yeah, they're jack of all trade. I have one myself. I think, I think we actually have a little bit of common lineage between our dogs, if I if I remember correctly, looking over yours. But uh, so you do flushing and uh, pointing. Uh, how how does that work? I mean, when you do you have a preference one or the other, or does it kind of just have their their own similar or unique qualities? I guess. Well. Naturally, uh, I started out as we all have with a you know, traditional pointing breed, uh, and then as as time has come on, the the flushers come into hand, and so we once we started digging into the flusher breed and picked the cocker as our primary, uh, we started working those along with the the pointing breed, and it's it's really worked out good. Uh, as you know, I mean, it's no secret in the hunting world most all plantations uh if you're on a if you're on a what we call a put and take or a shooting preserve you're you're hunting a release bird uh and you know if you're fortunate enough to have the ability to to hunt wild birds outside of you know quail and when you get into the pheasant world and all that they're more readily available but in the quail world we're you know for for heavy shooting we're we're just in that that market where we need a flusher to, to push them up hard and Naturally, the pointers to uh, sit back and do their job uh, as they have for years, and so that's that's sort of where we're at. We need to work them together, and that's how we've sort of evolved to uh, get heavy into the English cocker world. So, uh, when you're doing that, and if you're working them together, I, I'm assuming that you need kind of each dog, the flusher and the pointer, to be quote unquote finished on each level. 
before you throw them together or are you kind of training them together as you bring them up? Um, you sort of train them together. We, uh, we like to work naturally. You bring your pointers in all your traditional stuff with your pointers, your, your recall, your, your turn on the whistle, your, your woe breaking, your pointers. Uh, and primarily with the flushers, you've, you've got a lot of that similarity. Your flusher, uh, in my world, I want him to, to work somewhat close in gun range but also be able to pull the dog back and uh, have it heal, have it sit, uh, all the basic commands that you would need with a, a basic retriever. Uh, and it's funny because as you start working dogs together, I've had times where my English cocker is getting real birdie and I need to call him back, have him sit, have him heal, whatever that may be. and when the pointers come back across on the turn, they'll notice the cocker and they will back the cocker uh, just as another pointer will back a, a dog that's already pointing. <laughs> they'll back, honor, whatever you may call it. Uh, so it's it's sort of a team effort. And then also in reverse, the cockers, once they see the pointers point, uh, if they're not in the wind zone or whatever, they get birdie and get all excited and they don't know how to back naturally because they're designed to flush, but they will, you know, ask for direction or, or receive direction to, to hold. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. I've had very little, uh, experience being able to hunt both of them at the same time, but I think that's awesome. Uh, I mean, I know that primarily tonight we're going to be talking about your cockers and flushing dogs, but I, I just have to ask from a unique experience of being able to, of training both both pointers and flushers over the years, do you find like the trainability of one over the other is a little easier or more enjoyable? I would, you know, I guess being a English cocker guy, uh, the trainability definitely with the cocker is, much much easier i would say because uh, you're basically you need your you know you start off as a pup you need your hear command you, they need to learn to sit they need to learn to stay uh i would say here is probably the most important uh and whatever word you choose whether it be here whether it be you know i'm a all the retriever guys that are listening will probably flip their hat at this but <laughs> you know mine i use back and I know back in the retriever world means forward. They're sending that dog out. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know why I did it that way. Just when I started, uh, for example, if we get a if we get a flush and I have hunters that maybe don't kill a bird, uh, birds go down, light again, I holler back. And also my pointers and my, and my cocker comes back to me. Uh, and then we move forward and repoint that bird and then get ready to flush again. So, you know, the uh like I said that that's probably my my most important deal on the on the cocker just to have that control and be able to recall him. Yeah. So, you said that the cockers overall are probably a little bit easier, you know, obviously each dog's different, but 
Have you trained any other flushing dogs besides cockers? Is that do you think that it's just the cocker specifically, or maybe just flushing dogs in general? The training takes on a, a little quicker with yeah. them. You know, I want to think it's it's probably the the flushing dogs in general. Uh, on my years of hunting in the plantations, I've had customers that come in, and uh, I had a guy one time that came in. He had a lab. Uh, the lab he had worked very well. It was probably six months old. Uh, didn't know anything about quail. He just knew about retrieving dummies and a little bit of dove hunting, stuff like that. But uh, that customer worked that dog into the hunt scenario. And not only did that dog come in and gradually actually started halfway pointing, at least holding. I'm not going to say he had his tail still, but he uh, he held and then would release on his command and flush while the pointer's stood still and all this happened within a one day of hunting wow so you know I, I think every dog can be trained to flush retrieve and possibly point uh you know that the pointing may be an issue on on some of your flushers uh, but even our small monsterlander zeta she will you know hunt range turn quarter do all that and she'll point but and i haven't i don't have a desire to make her steady to wing and shot so when i blow the whistle to release the cocker in essence i have two flushers hitting that covey because she releases and the cocker releases and that just helps the birds fly better and then i've got two retrievers pursuing so you know it's a dual purpose yeah well so you mentioned the lab, uh, go through some of the other flushing breeds that you know of and that you've personally had experience with. And what, what was it that drove you to specialize in the English cockers? Um, during my, my time span, I've seen naturally the cockers that we spoke about. Uh, I've dealt with some Boykins, not from a personal ownership level, but through customers, clients, uh, as we said before, labs. Uh, I've even seen a pointer cocker cross that went out. Naturally, it was not a planned breeding, but yeah. uh, turned out to be a heck of a dog. Uh, the dog would go up point, and as I said, like the Monsterlander did, it would release on the whistle and then flush. So, you know, I, for the for a weekend warrior or something like that, I'm you know if you're if you're if you're into killing game and and retrieving it, that's uh you know I think any dog with a given time that's got some ability could maybe work into that position. Uh, I went towards English cockers mainly. I don't know. I got my first one probably looking at about well, actually Rock is his name. He'll be 13 this December, uh, and. So I started with that and just sort of took a liking to it. And they all, uh, as a trainer, they all have made me look good as a trainer. And I think a lot of it's just natural ability uh, and drive. Yeah, that's <laughs> that seems to be the case with all dogs. You know, with dogs will uh, make the trainer look good a lot of the time as opposed to the other way around. Uh, so with the flushing dogs, I mean, have you done anything with springers? I know that's a popular flushing dog. 
No, uh, I, I would not be opposed to a Springer. I have hunted behind some. Back uh, over overseas when they were originally uh, breeding Springers, uh, a lot of people may not know, but they had uh, smaller versions of the Springers. Actually, you know, I'm tr- I guess what I'm trying to say is if they had a litter and dogs did not size up to a certain criteria, they started downsizing those and rebreeding and to my knowledge from what i've been told from some of the uh breeders overseas is that's how the cocker uh they derive the cocker into its breed of its own okay. so i tell a lot of people i said in my opinion i said you know cocker or springer i don't think it matters uh i think a, a cocker is probably just a small souped up springer yeah uh don't hold me to that that's all <laughs> hearsay but you know i i guess like a lot of people say google it check yeah, it out absolutely uh, i you know that's kind of how i've always looked at boykins was just being a smaller springer but uh, yeah i can definitely see a cocker being just a smaller uh springer as well that's right uh, um, okay well so we've touched on all the breeds like i get let's just go ahead and jump on in and the flusher specific stuff and uh i'm gonna go ahead and ask you that the number one question that all trainers hate being asked they they get asked all the time is there some kind of just general every dog's different but just general timeline for a dog so like you you get a puppy home what are you doing from day one to let's just say to the time that you take them out in the field all right, I'd say day one, uh, we all know about gunshot pups. Mm-hmm. So day one, uh, hopefully your breeder has made a lot of racket, not been, not tried to be quiet. Uh, I, re- I reference dogs like kids and kids like dogs. Uh, you know, if you if you got a bunch of pups in the house and you're tiptoeing around and, and uh, not making any noise, uh, that's probably not a good thing. Sort of like a kid, you got kid in the house and you're tiptoeing and then uncle whoever comes over and he's slamming the door and he's waking the kid up uh the kid wasn't trained to noise so you need to treat your dogs the same way Uh, that's just my opinion Uh, and uh it's funny you ask that because you know i I tell my kids a lot of times i said my dog minds better than you do uh (laughs) but i think it goes back to trainability as a parent you know i'll stay i'll stay on a on a dog to to get what I need to uh, get him to behave him or her, and uh, you know with the with the parenting sometimes we'll lack up. So that in itself, we're looking at back to the the stage of a pup. You know, make the noise. Hope your breeder made the noise. Uh, start that pup out. You know, right when you get it. Uh, everything from a little bit of short retrieves. Uh, naturally sit anytime you can have your pup, even if your pup sits and you haven't said sit immediately, if that's, if your command's going to be sit, say that command while they're already uh, doing the action, praise him while he's already doing it. Yeah. Uh, if you think you're fixing to be in a training session, have some Cheerios, have some dehydrated hot dogs or something out of the microwave that you can, you can give that pup when he does something that you like commend him and give him a little treat but you know he doesn't have to have a treat all the time Mm. but uh hand signals with a with a small pup you get a little pup to sit and all of a sudden you teach him how to sit 
I tell everybody else, take a Cheerio, hold it up where you can see it visually, cast it right, cast it left, and let him go get it. You're you're preparing him for the field when he's coming to you, and you have him sit. You got your hand up. You can cast him. So you're you're already training for stuff that's coming later that he's not even aware of. Yeah. Uh, so when you get to that stage, you're not beating your head up against the wall because he won't he won't cast over. Yeah. Uh, have your whistle around your neck when you're when your pup's young. If he in the event that he sits or you're working on sit. You know, pip that whistle one time as he's sitting. Uh, take advantage of those moments. And uh, so that's in early stages. Uh, as the pup gets a little older, let's say, you know, we're at the six-month range. Because uh, six months doesn't take that long. You know, you get a pup nowadays, he may be eight to ten weeks old. He may be older, depending on the breeder, uh, at that six-month stage. He needs to be uh, needs to be on a on a rope when he's when it's train time or even you think it's going to be train time. He needs to drag a lead around. Uh, take advantage of those moments when he's coming by you and uh, step on that rope. Give him a command. Uh, Woe command is big in the pointing world. Mm. Uh, I don't necessarily recommend using that for your flushing dog because if you send your flushing dog in and your pointers surge forward or, or inch up and you holler whoa you stop your flushing dog as well so yeah, figure that... maybe another figure another command maybe for that uh and it's going to be hard because we're all so geared towards whoa on that and uh yeah i got a question on that real quick because i was curious about that uh that definitely makes sense if you're doing both of them combined but do flusher handlers if they don't plan or ever hunt their flushing dogs with a pointer do they teach woe to the flushing dogs as well uh i would say if you if you were not gonna to hunt them with a uh a pointer Hmm. you know just use it because it's probably gonna be what's on your mind um, but if you're going to hunt them with a pointer and that goes back to, uh, back, like I said earlier, that was my word. And, and I know that's not in the retriever world. That means something different, but you know, from a dog standpoint, you, the word means nothing to a dog. It's a command. You could, you know, just like, whoa, that yeah. we know that means stop, but go, uh, means go. But if you taught a dog to stop on go, then that's that's yeah. what he knows. You can train so him to stop. Word. Yeah, you can train him to stop with pork chop if you wanted to. Yeah, I, you know I've got one little dog that uh, I don't know why, but somewhere in the training I probably said it and it keyed in with her. Uh, if she goes forward, the best thing works with her. If I say ah, eh, <laughs> just sort of, you know, like you know that that, that southern no. Yeah. Uh, and she will stop, turn, and come back. Uh, the other dogs have not a clue what that means, yep. but somewhere it keyed in with her. And uh, so, you know, that being said, just just figure out how to get the control on your dog of some sort when they're young. And the, I found the best thing is the rope because you can take so many training advantages when they run by and uh, stop them and yeah. take advantage of that. And then as you move up in your months, you know, uh, you 
you know, some people are, uh, some people don't like e-collars. I don't have a problem with an e-collar in the, in the hands of somebody that will use it correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly my e-collar, I use a, a Garmin slash Tritronics. Uh, put the collar in your hand, guys. Uh, push the, push the button, grip it tight. See how it feels. Yeah. Uh, you know, most of us are grown men and, and women, uh, see how it feels. Most of them, one, you can feel and tolerate Two gets a little more aggravating and three, we don't want a, a part of, yep. uh, so know that with your dog, if you got a soft dog, uh, one, just a little nick with one may, may work with that dog. Uh, and I had a guy tell me a long time ago that uh, you turn a dog in the neck and you stop him in the rear. So <laughs> that being said, put the collar around the dog's waist if you're looking for some stop. If you're looking for some turn or some recall, maybe work the work the neck area. But, you know, of all means, especially in the cocker flushing breed, uh, use that collar very mildly. Stick to that rope for a while because... Uh, you can have a good pup that wants to do everything right. It's just a little confused, and uh, a bad day training can can turn your dog around, and you got a good pet. Uh, you know that's that's blunt, but I'm just you know that's the way I am. I'm gonna shoot it to you straight. Absolutely. Okay, so you touched on just kind of planting the seeds with with just the dog's already doing the action as a puppy, sitting using hand signals for early on with food and and stuff like that. Uh, what are some of the other main obedience that you're doing with these pups before you go out into the field training? Like what's important to you that you think that the dog needs to be solid on before you take the step in the field? Okay. One thing I forgot to touch on, uh, during these early stages, uh, anytime you can get the dog, um, in birds, one bird, two birds, whatever, naturally, as a the younger they are, start off with a, you know, a dead bird, uh, a winged bird. Trim the wings back where the the dog can chase it. You need these these pups to be as birdy as possible. So every bird you put them in, you build them up, and uh, through their training, it uh, you know, do it before training, during training, after. Uh, they've all got to have their their obedience, but that lets them sort of they know what they're here for. Uh, and when that light turns on, you're going to get more trainability out of that dog as you get ready. Because when you work into later stages and uh, get ready to work the gun into the to the picture, that dog needs to be birdie, birdie, birdie. Oh, yeah. Uh, so in that manner, less scenario, I'm working a pup where let's just say we're let's say we're at the six month age. Uh, I'm working a pup. I've, I've got him birdie. Uh, he's sitting, he's doing pretty good. He's still dragging a lead. Uh, I want to test him a little bit. I've been making a lot of noise around him. Like I said earlier in the, in the, uh, deal that we, you know, we wanted to make noise when they're pups. So now we're, we're making a little more noise. We're going to bring the gun in the picture. Uh, let's don't bring the gun in right over him. Uh, he's already birdie. So let's let's bring the gun in from let's say a hundred yards. I always get my wife or, or whoever may be helping me. Uh, we'll get a bird. We'll get them on a couple of retrieves, a couple of chases, and uh, 
we'll use our hat normally. I'll hold it up in the air, shake it. When I shake it, I want them to fire that gun in the opposite direction from about 100 yards mm-hmm. uh, while the pup is chasing a bird. In the event you get a look back or a stop from your pup, put the gun up, finish with a few birds, do whatever that pup does best, make a big deal out of it, and go to the house. Yep. Uh, just that's just the that's the short version of it. Don't yeah. do any more gun that day. Uh, that dog needs more birds. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of discrepancy on gun shyness, uh, man-made dog. Uh, let's face it, uh, dogs are like people. You've got you know alphas. You've got people that are dominant. People that are shy. You should know that in your in your dog. If you see that you've got a timid dog. You really got to get him or her birdie yeah. uh, before you bring the gun in. Uh, some of them, luck have it, do not care. They they love the gun, uh, but you got to select few that that can uh, can rock the fence. So it, let's say we did our scenario. We don't get any any acknowledgement that we even fired a gun. Uh, cut it by a quarter. You know, come in. Redo the scenario, bird or two, bird, boom in the distance. And if that bird's still flying and that dog's still chasing, uh, this is a good time to have your automatic. Keep shaking your hat. Let your gunner keep keep popping. Mm-hmm. Uh, take advantage of the moment. Uh, and then cut the distance again. And, you know, roll. it's sort of like rolling dice. That may be the good time to stop that day. Yeah. Uh, bring it back in the next day, start it out further, and then cut your distance sooner. And as long as you're not getting a a, a look back, keep it coming. Uh, now, I don't mean, you know, 12-gauge high brass either. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you got a 410, that's great. Uh, I have found that some dogs do not like the 22 rifle sound. It's a little more sharp. Yeah. Uh, I've got a dog that's as good as you get. She does not like it if I shoot my 17 caliber uh, rifle. She just doesn't like it. She tucks her ears and will jump back in the truck. But if I get a shotgun out and we're we're hunting, she's good to go. Yeah. Uh, something about that sharpness. Uh, so naturally, I know that. So I don't I don't do any shooting around her. Now that's. That whole sequence, I mean, that's real similar to whether you're doing a pointer or flusher. That's that's real similar Correct. to how Correct. how we talk about it, and we we help other people, especially in NAV, to introduce dogs to gunfire, and, and that's really always good to touch on. Uh, so you're you're doing gun intro in the field at this point. What do you expect the dog? Say say it's already gun broke. What what do you expect the dog to know in the field for you to really start working on? the huntability of the dog, the range, the steadiness, whatever that, you know, you, you mentioned sit earlier. Is there any other obedience commands that you, you need the dog to know? Um, naturally you need the recall where whatever your mind's back. And I know that I've said that several times. Yeah. That's opposite, but whatever, whatever you're comfortable with on your recall, whether it be here, you know, what, whatever it is, just, just bring it back. Uh, Keep it in gun range, and if you're, you got some guys that that uh, are sort of they like to do a little bit of field trial, a little bit of hunting. So, heel 
to that guy is not going to be really appropriate. I like my dogs to stay within gun range uh, just because the pointers are working and I've got, you know, hunters walking with me. The cocker's sort of cleaning up anything that the pointer might have missed. Yeah. Uh, as we're going across. Uh, and then when my my dogs, if they get birdie, I mean, you got to learn to read your dog. If the ears perk up, the tail goes from 100 to 200 on these cockers, you, uh, you got to read that. And you either got to tell your hunters, get ready, or either you got to stop your dog, uh, which I normally, I'm, I, I like a whistle. I'm, uh, I use the Acme 210 whistles. Uh, some people call them a little pip whistle. I do have a, you know, a bigger whistle on me for just when the dog gets further out, just to, if I have to get on the horn, as they say. Yeah. Uh, but I use a pip of the whistle, one, just a beep, one little blast. Mine will normally stop. Then I can say here, uh, have it come in. If I hit that whistle again and give the hand signal and or the hand signal without the whistle, I can get a sit or at least a stand still. Uh, what I'm doing at that point, I'm letting my pointers come back across to catch this scent. I may call, you know, as we all know, you know, hunt close, hunt close pointers come in they catch the scent and then lock down and point sometimes as we talked about earlier the pointers will come in notice okay he or she is sitting by me already they know something's up they've done the scenario all of a sudden they lock up and back and sort of look and then you've always got that one or two that just won't back right and don't trust so they got to work it till they get the wind and then they'll lock up tight uh but they're aware that there's a situation going on. And uh, so, you know, that being said, the recall on your uh, on your cocker is important to get that control. Okay. So you're just mentioning range. Just coming from somebody that, like I mentioned earlier, I don't have a whole lot of experience around flushers. Uh, I would venture to say, just from an outsider's point of view, range seems to be the most important thing in a flushing dog. Is, is that correct? And is range primarily natural, or is it kind of man-made? Um, I would say you're somewhat man-made. I mean, each dog is going to be different. You're going to have some big dogs that want to run big and dogs that want to sort of, you know, stay close. Generally speaking, the flushers, uh, primarily the English cockers that we're working with, are fairly close range. Uh, you know, I want to say they will venture out if I allow them, but I'm I'm hitting that whistle, you know, talking to the pointers with the whistle, and then occasional, you know, uh, verbal through the whistle with the with the cocker, and he's pretty much staying within gun range because I've always back to scenario one. I started him on a rope. Uh, my first cocker I started, I, I told somebody, I think the rope was 15 foot when we started, and it was 20 foot when we finished. Uh, <laughs> Pull, you know, pulling it, it out. It, and, and, you know, I, I swear that rope got longer. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that goes back to that, that, that dog's used to back in the day when I had him on a rope. If he didn't respond or stay within that somewhat distance, as he came by, you know, I had a knot in the end of it. I'd step on it or wait till that knot got there and cramp down on it and give him a command to, you know, come back to me. And uh, 
So that's how we sort of establish that that range. So I feel like in that scenario, on my end, I I man made I I made that that gap where I wanted it, and he's he's comfortable with it. And normally, you know, it's in your in your flush and retrieve trials and stuff like that. You know, you need that. You know, some people may differ, but realistically, you need that. You need that cocker within about fifteen yards or in. Yeah. Uh, because if he gets birdie and and naturally I'm used to him, him or her. Uh, if you were hunting with me and you didn't know quite how to read my dog, I'm gonna have you know that second and a half reaction time ahead of you. And if he flushes and you weren't ready at 15 yards, all of a sudden the bird's at 25 or 30. You're checking for other dogs, uh, the pointing breed, to make sure you're good for your shot, and then all of a sudden the bird's out of range. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's, I think it's definitely, it can be man-made. Uh, some dogs are going to range in close, just like the pointing breed. Some dogs are going to be big runners. Uh, you got to figure out where you want them. But if they're designed to flush, you need to have them within gun range, or they're going. Or you might as well just uh, leave your gun at the house. <laughs> so you mentioned that you have the check cord, and every time that they go further out of range, you'll you'll step on the knot or or yank them back. Are you just using recall to get them back within range, or do you have a specific command that just says, "Hey, get a little closer"? Uh, a lot of times, I will call the dog by name. Uh, you know, for instance, I got a, a male dog named Clay. Uh, you know, I'll specific to him, Clay, here. Uh, you know, I don't, you know, in those scenarios, because I do each dog the same, uh, I hadn't really ever thought about it. You know, if I, probably if I just said Clay, he would come back uh, because that's the first trigger. Uh, he may be gear, geared on here, uh, but I found out that even like with the, some commands, if you use a command like clay here, uh, or you just say here, he comes back on both. So maybe a dual dual verbal understanding, I guess you'd say, on that end. But uh, it's I would say just like in the pointing breed where woe is important, nope. that recall on that cocker here, whatever you want to use, uh, that's going to be key uh, because okay. that's going to keep you within gun range to be able to get your shot off. Okay. Well, okay. So let's just say that you have your dog working in range now and okay. I'm, I'm just going to assume that steadiness, uh, whatever level of steadiness that you're wanting to go to would be the next priority in the, in the chain of events. What, what kind of steadiness levels are we talking about for flushers? Is it is it pretty much the kind of the same thing as pointers, but just not a point on the front end of it? Yeah, for instance, uh, like I said, I've I've got several of these dogs. Uh, some dogs that, uh, and I guess maybe it's trust trust factor. Some dogs I ask at that point to come here, and then I will have them sit. Uh, Pointers are already on point. Maybe my hunters are not loaded up yet, or maybe they're not in a safe position. I still need them to move forward to get a little closer into gun range and to get the gun out of my ear. Uh, so, therefore, that dog may be sitting, uh, waiting on the command to go forward, where I may have another dog that's 
maybe a little more broke or just maybe not doesn't quite have the super drive that this other one has. I have some that will stand maybe in between me and the pointers just in a semi-pointing position, but tails are wagging, and it's almost like they're getting ready to run a track meet. They're, they're sitting on edge. They're waiting to hear two pips of the whistle where they can go forward. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that goes back to, you know, just like people, each dog's different. Um, I'm not a big stickler on, like I said, a dog having to come back and heal by me, sit by my side. Um, my my mission is to uh, you know to have that dog do what he's best at, and if it, if if that works for him, that works for me. Uh, some people may be more specific; uh, they may want that heel, that sit, that cast from the you know side of the knee out. It's just all according to what your objective is. Okay, so when you when you're training all that, uh, what's your preferred method of training steadiness to get them? whether it's sitting at your side or sitting away from you and you do stop to whistle or, or whatever you're doing at the specific time, how do you train that level of steadiness for them to understand that they're to remain sitting until you release them? Do you use place boards? Um, I've dealt with place boards a little bit, and uh, I think they're great. Uh, a lot of people, you know, use a scenario of place boards where they go across the yard and have them sit and uh, wait receive a, a treat or or release with a whistle go to the next one personally i have uh because i deal in both breeds the pointing and the cocker i like to to you know just like the scenario of, of woe breaking a pointer i like to go you know with the cop with a with the rope coming down the lead coming down uh you know looped around the waist and sort of a half hitch uh Give them a little bit of, you know, they're a smaller breed, so you're, you know, unlike a pointing breed where you got a, you know, 45, 55 pound dog surging forward, you typically got on the top side of a male, you you may have a 35 pounder, but probably got a 30 pounder running out. Uh, you just stop them just like that, you know, give them a foot and a half, two foot of gap in that rope, and stop them. Give that command that you want for stop, which like we talked about, probably doesn't need to be woe. Uh, give them that command. Normally they will either sit or either they will come back to you and you can command them to sit, then send them forward. Uh, be sure to release the rope. Uh, you will have scenarios in training where, you know, everything worked perfect and, and you uh, the rope got tangled around your foot and you stopped <laughs> him again. Uh yep. You know that that just happens. Uh, don't don't uh, beat yourself up. Start over and uh, give them a reward and make it all good. Yeah. But going back to the question, I I like to do that, and then I like to work that from the neck, and maybe a, a you know like I said, I'm not opposed to the e collar. Put maybe do a little e collar around the waistline, flank them, just to stop them. Uh, we're we're not looking to. Uh, we just want them to get. We want to get their attention because that is an extension of a lead. Yeah. Uh, if you prefer it, great. If you don't, just keep working the rope. That's not a not a problem. You can get the result uh, both ways. You may just get it a little sooner uh, with the collar, just because you got the ability. If he you know, if he surges out there, uh, you can stop him, uh, tickle him a little bit, bring him back, because the you know quite frankly. Uh, 
if I took off running the I I don't think I'd like the rope around my waist. Uh, I would probably respond to the to the collar uh, quicker than the rope because I you know just it's just just seems the way more it is. natural. Well, I, yeah. on that note, uh, you know I, I've used the belly collar a little bit here and there on on my training with my pointers. I've found that doing the very beginning just intro level stages with uh, the half hitch around around their waist and then going to the belly collar seems to even increase the time or uh, speed up the time that it takes for the dog to connect that, oh, the the stem stem on my belly means stop. It's just like they, they seem to connect the dots a lot quicker. Have you, have yep. you kind of seen that to be true on your end? Yes, actually, like I, like I said earlier, um, I'm a believer that you turn a dog in the neck and you stop him in the rear. So if you scenario, if we're if we're trying to stop him and we we do have him flanked on his belly, but yet we still got the uh, the lead, you know, know your scenario. If you're throwing a dummy or, or you got a bird ahead, uh, you know, have enough rope uh, lead clipped to that dog's collar on his neck where he can go forward, accomplish the task that you're asking, and in the event you need to then apply here or back or whatever that is to recall, then you got that. So you're you're you got the ability to stop him in his rear with the flank. You surge him forward, get your prize, your bird, your dummy, whatever, and then you ensure a uh, you know retrieve back to hand. So you're you're double you're double doing then. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's sort of a you know just another way to do it, and I I fully agree with you on the on the timing. I think you can you can accomplish that a lot quicker because let's face it, if you uh, if you send your dog forward on a retrieve or a flush, you don't have the ability to stop him if needed. Which when you're when you're hunting, you need to be able to stop that dog because everybody's not going to kill the bird on the first shot, the second shot. No. Uh, and you don't want to, you know, especially if you're wild bird hunting, you don't want, you know, that that quail or pheasant, whatever you may be hunting, you don't want that dog to surge out 50, 60 yards if it goes in the brush and flush it up again because you're only going to get so many uh, birds a day. Yeah. A guy on a shooting preserve, yeah, he's going to, yeah, they're going to see 100 birds a day, no problem. Yeah. Uh, so you can, you know, duplicate that scenario. It's not that big of a deal, but if you're, you're out on a on a on a hunt beating the bush you're you may you may not shoot but a couple of times a day yeah uh, so that's just the the fact of it but be able to recall that dog and then dual purpose stop it all all the scenarios until yeah. that dog is what you want to call finished or broke or at least to your standards yeah well, do you do anything like uh, stop to flush training? Do you mess with that at all? Okay, uh, elaborate on that question once more. The stop to flush, like, do you do any training to where the dog just naturally uh, gets you? If a bird busts up in front of it and it wasn't necessarily working the bird, it'll stop on its own. Or like, so if you're in the yard, if you bomb the uh, the dog with birds or something like that. Uh, you're just training the dog to stop on its own. Uh, that particular scenario, I I do not work on that. I I have had 
one of my cockers uh, for some reason when the bird would flush, even if sometimes on a on an accidental meaning he's just working across and all of a sudden bam he's on birds and, and it flushes. He started sitting, which I thought was great. Yeah, because uh, we could watch the birds down and then go hunt them. Uh, the others, when they do that, normally you 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 know it catches you by surprise or you or they stumble across it, winds wrong, something's not right. Uh, the others, when it flushes, normally they'll go forward, but I, I use my recall command and they immediately stop and come back. Uh, so that's, it, it's, you know, it's like, Hey, we made a mistake. Cancel the order. Uh, <laughs> let's start, let's start over. Yeah. That's awesome. So, all right. So really we, we just kind of walked, walked what you wanted to do with your flushing dog from, you know, a puppy on up into the field. Is there a certain point? I know that you mentioned earlier that you kind of train them with pointers as you come up, but is there a certain point that you just feel like, okay, I'm comfortable hunting both of these dogs at the same time? Is there a certain level of training that you expect the flusher to be at before you throw them in with a, uh, with a pointer or even just a client hunt? What do you consider to be the level of huntability? Um, what I would say with the flusher for huntability, uh, and it's funny, we keep going full circle, being able to being able to stop that dog and recall him uh, is crucial. Uh, even more crucial than sit. Uh, just the recall on command is is probably when I know that I can actually take a dog out and uh, and start working him uh, because I can recall that dog when I see my pointer's point. I can recall him in when I see. Corners even getting birdie, uh, or we're fixing to make a turn, and you know we're not going. The wind's not going to be in our favor. Uh, I recall him in. That would be the key, and then just the ability to, in the event of the, uh, or when not in the event when we get a flush, uh, after the pointers have pointed, being able to stop that dog and bring him back if we do not have a kill or he does not see a kill. Uh, that way he does not repeat flush. Uh, that's, that's when I feel like I've got, it's control. I mean, a little bit of control on him to manipulate the situation and put him where I want him, whether it be a dead bird or, or, you know, let's redo this. These guys can't shoot. Let's, let's, let's ease up and, <laughs> and do this again and give them another chance. Uh, funny you mentioned that because, I can remember early years I took a guy hunting and uh, we started out and uh, I pulled the cocker out to uh, collar him up and get ready and he said, oh God, this is fixing to go bad. And I said, what do you mean? He said, these dogs, they flush them and they flush them and they flush them. If you don't kill them on the rise, you don't get them. And I thought to myself, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. So we went (laughs) up. We went up, and I actually let the my first dog that I talked about early on that's 13 coming up this uh, Christmas, I let him go forward. It was a friend, uh, so it wasn't a, wasn't a paying client. It was a friend, but he had made that mark, so I wanted to prove him different. Uh, Rock went up, and I actually I let him flush a bird right out of gun range. 
And he said, see there, that's what I'm telling you. And then I hollered back. And he stopped, came back. We watched the bird down. I said, we're fixing to go kill that bird. And uh, he said, I believe you. He said, because he stopped and he came back. He said, I've never, I said, I've never hunted behind one that doesn't just keep flushing it. And uh, I said, well, well, you've been hunting in the wrong place. So we had a great day, killed a lot of birds. Uh, but it went back to where we were at a minute ago. The yeah. ability to, to bring him back into where I needed him. Uh, so really, you're just gun, looking for that. Cons- in gun range. Yeah, so really you're just ultimately looking for that consistent steering wheel and control, ultimately. Correct. Yeah. And the ability to ask that dog to wait even when he finds a bird, uh, which is hard for these flushers. Uh, once they find them, they want to flush them. Yeah. Uh, they want to get them. They want to catch them if they can. Uh, that being said... I, that's where we. I really like to bring the dog back to a control point. I don't want them to be up there like the pointer, you know, pointing up close. There are a few of them that will stand there and hold, but I just feel more comfortable bringing them on back. Yeah, and then sending them because you get a better flush. Because yeah. uh, I mean, like I said, in the hunting world, when you're hunting, uh, you know, release birds, which 90 whatever percent of us are uh in the in that scenario you need just a good hard dog going in busting birds yeah uh you don't want the the little pokers around and stepping on them uh so that's that's another reason i don't particularly uh like the heel method as far as making that dog sit by me all the time i feel like i've got to take some hunt out of that dog uh, and I also feel like when we're hunting across the woods, having a dog heal up like that, I'm missing a lot of singles that we may be walking over because, you know, if a pointer quarters out to the left and you and he goes past some birds and we got a, a stiff wind and he comes back across and he's on the wrong side of the wind, he's going to miss that bird. Yeah. Uh, that's just a fact of it. I mean, if every dog got every bird, then, you know, <laughs> there'd be no birds left. <laughs> yeah. Got to give them a fighting chance at least. That's right. I mean, the birds, birds gonna win sometime. Oh yeah. Well, I I don't think that we even touched on this. I'm just gonna throw it out there. Have you ever done any waterfowl hunting with your cockers? Very minimal. Uh, I just I was never raised raised up hunting waterfowl. Uh, that's something on my list right now. My I've got a 12 year old son that's wanting to to hunt ducks, and so we've started. Uh, I guess you'd say tinkering around with it a little bit. They they like water. Yeah. Uh, we just need some ducks to to put on the water for them to go pick up. So only only thing I see holding us back. Uh, so retrieving but, drive. Uh, do they have generally have a pretty good retrieving drive, or do you need to force break your your cockers usually? What what's your preference on retrieving for flushers? Uh, from what I've seen, I've probably had in my years. And this has been a lot of dogs. I've had maybe two that did not want to retrieve at all. Wow. Uh, and I think that went back to, you know, it was just their disposition. Those particular dogs uh, didn't show me a lot of hunt either. Uh, but just, you know, they they made a they made a good a good family dog for somebody. So it was really more of a drive issue overall than just a retrieving drive. 
Yeah, uh, I, most all the ones I've had have have liked the water. Some have liked it a lot better. Some have had to work up to it. Yeah. Uh, I've got some friends that that hunt cockers that are duck hunters, and they do well for them. Uh, naturally, they're not a particularly big water cold, you know, big cold water dog as far as you know, big what I call big water. I mean, in my area, we we're more. Uh, wood ducks and stuff like that. We do have a big lake here, but uh, most of that's geared towards, you know, the labs or the bigger dogs uh, yeah. just because of the distance. Uh, but the cockers are, are hardy little rascals. They, uh, I went pheasant hunting with them. They, uh, they do well with a pheasant. They'll, I've had uh, worked two males on the ground before, and we've, we've shot pheasants, and they'll, I've seen them chase those roosters down with broke legs and, uh, I mean, broke wings, uh, and you know, you think, "Golly, I hope he hope he doesn't spur them," but uh, they they tackle him. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, they got a mouthful when they come back. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Well, they I mean, they're the perfect size for a good little kayak dog too. If you're if you're in the right temperature, I mean, I can definitely see taking a cocker out there with you in a canoe or kayak. Oh yeah, uh, I tell a lot of my people that I hunt and that purchase dogs from me, I, I tell them, I said, you know, I, I love a lab. I said, but these have become the new lab. I said, they, they, uh, you get an all purpose dog, you get the kids a dog, the wife gets a dog cause it can stay inside. I said, and you get a dog. I said, and you, uh, everybody's happy. Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, not, the, not, the true versatile dog right there. Make everybody happy. Yep. That's right, and and you know, and I've I've been super impressed with the Monsterlander. Uh, we've uh, we've with her being able to release to flush. I'm and she's a she's a pointing you know pointing breed for me as well. I'm getting a pointer and a flusher out of her, and they've she's been a great you know house dog. She yeah. uh, every morning I get up, I open my daughter's uh, bedroom door, and she jumps off the bed and. She goes out with other dogs, and she comes back in, and uh, we've used her. She's two and a half years old, and we've used her. She's, I think she's got 11 or 12 uh, finds with deer Yeah. at this point, and, uh, which I was super impressed. I didn't, didn't, didn't know we were getting that, too, but uh, we've enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying mine. Mine's been able to track a couple deer for me, and... Yeah, like you said, a, a real good off switch in the house. Uh, how's the cockers off switch in the house? Are they are they pr- pretty? They they do they do pretty good. Uh, it, I'll say you need to. That's where the place board or a place towel has come in handy on some of the ones that we've had in the house. Yeah. Uh, they do need to know when enough is enough, and they need to to chill. <laughs> yeah, but. That is a training scenario where you are teaching that dog something. You know, I mean, you're teaching it manners in the house naturally, but you're also, that works into the field if you've got that dog sitting, placed. Uh, I can remember, like I said, that, that probably that same rope I talked about that, that got stretched. I would bring it inside and uh, around the uh, chair leg. I would wrap it around and give the dog about a three or four foot, you know, ease out and I'd keep the rest just sort of wrapped around the chair and uh lay my towel out there or whatever and he'd start to pull and get frantic or whatever and I'd just hey sit 
sit. And once he'd sit, I'd stay. And uh, I'd just, you know, go back to watching TV. And uh, <laughs> the dog would give up, give up and go to sleep. And then I get up, I you know, commend him, and, and we move on. Uh, yeah. But that taught him. And I guess that's sort of like, you know, it's sort of like a, a chain gang for pointers. Uh, you know, a little short lead, they got to submit, give in, and, and chill. And uh, get some use of that pressure know. around the neck too. That's right. Uh, and I've I've used that some with the cockers. If you've got to run uh, at your kennel or your backyard, you know, if you got more than one dog, use more than one naturally. But uh, I use the fence post. I'll do a little short chain clip off of there and clip two or three of them to the fence. And uh, like I said, they'll. They'll buck it a little bit in the beginning, but then they'll normally stop and sit. And if you're training, I call me crazy, but I think when you're training, if the other dogs are watching, they got to be learning something. Yeah. Because uh, uh, they're seeing that, they're seeing it. At least you know it's a visual, uh, and it's teaching them to to wait their turn. Yeah. Well, no, nah, I think my my mother-in-law has a cocker. She's not from a hunting line or anything, but she's the same way in the house. My, my mother-in-law, she does a great job of making sure that she stays the boss inside the house or else I think uh think that cocker might be be queen of the household. But she uh she even though she's not from a hunting background, she sure as heck loves to chase those squirrels out of the garden, that's for sure. <laughs> that's right. It might take her as a backup dog one day. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, Derry, I appreciate you joining us. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on or, or tell people where to find you and your kennel and all, and all that fun stuff? Um, yeah, just uh, look us up on Facebook at uh, Dirt Road Dog Company. Uh, we're in the process of probably fixing to launch a website. And uh, if you got any questions, you know, just feel free to reach out, message us. We'll... My wife or I, my wife, my wife's name is Jessica. I'm Derry. Uh, one of us will get back with you. If you're interested in a in a English cocker pup, let us know. We got some litters coming up here in a, probably in a, within the next week. We're gonna have a litter, and then I think we've got another breeding coming up after that. So, you know, just let us know. And if you just got questions about the breed or you're curious, you know, give us a give us a shout, and we'll get back to you uh, in a timely manner. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, Derry, again, I appreciate you taking the time to to sit down and talk to us about dogs. I know it's not the worst thing in the world to just sit down and talk dogs, but uh, it does take some time, and I appreciate it. Uh, we thank you. We All right. Thanks. Help any way we can. Yep. Well, you have a good one. Appreciate it. All right. Y'all have a good night. All right. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone.
everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just after replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.